This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to The Menopod, the podcast that tackles puberty's evil older sister, one cheap desk fan at a time. I've had three. Uh, I'm Susan Lee, regional print editor at Reach, and I'm joined again by fellow journalist and my friend Dawn Collinson. Hello. In this week's episode, we'll be tackling empty nest syndrome, that strange moment in your parenting career when, after years of preparing for your kids to leave home, they actually go and do it. For some women, it means increased freedom, more time to pursue their career or hobbies, and a fridge that actually still contains food the day after the big shop. For others, though, that sense of loss can almost feel like a grieving process as your identity walks out of the door along with your child. A little later on, we'll be chatting to Dr Naomi Hodgson, Senior Lecturer in Education Studies at Liverpool Hope University, and who specialises in philosophy of education. She'll argue we shouldn't think of empty nest as a kind of flaw or problem to be overcome, but just as a new normal. We'll also be talking to Julia Finch, a mum of two boys now in their 20s, about how she found the experience of no longer having children at home. But first of all, Dawn, did you see that thing I shared the other day? I did, and thank you, because I was feeling okay about it. <laughs> because for anybody who doesn't... My son is on a gap year. All being well, I will have an empty nest in September. And so I've had a year. Because of the gap year, I've had a year to get my head round. Oh, yes, yes, and I'm fine, and I'm fine, and I'm fine, and I'm fine. And I read... Rob Lowe wrote a, a great piece about what it was like taking his son to university. Oh, okay. And it's interesting because we look at it from a woman's, a mum's point of view. Yeah. But actually, you kind of forget that dads probably feel maybe not the same. But, but similar. You something. can't discount it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. So I'd read the Rob Lips. So I was OK. I'm, I feel OK about this. And I'd kind of got my head around it. And I thought, yes, the year is good because the year gives me longer to prepare. prepare. Yes, I will be... Come September, I will be bulletproof, Sue. Bulletproof. No, I will not be bulletproof. I will be shattered <laughs> by the first YouTube video that you share. So it was it was an Australian radio talk show, wasn't it? Yeah. And this, this woman talked about, she read out a letter, wasn't it, from somebody who said, and she was talking about what it was like and how it was almost like a painful divorce. But also she had the added layer of the fact that she felt guilty for saying how bad she felt about her children leaving. Because obviously, 
you are aware that people either don't have children who would love to have had children or have lost children, which is even worse. And then you feel like, well, here I am with an 18 or 19 or whatever, 20 odd year old child. And I'm moaning about them leaving home. And I'm I'm doing a little bit of a, well, woe is me. Well, yeah, you are. We all are. We all have and we all do. That YouTube clip though I mean it was specifically about boys but you know it was about boys but I guess to a greater or lesser degree it's a different experience with girls but it's still an experience and she described it as what was it a a long slow breakup yes and long painful breakup which begins when they're in their mid-teens doesn't it because they start to sort of incrementally edge away don't they and we notice this everyone notices it is that you know you're not you know, that that little huggy, close person and that person that you did everything with and for and whatever. Well, they don't want you to do anything no. with them for and, them and nor should they. Do you no. know what I mean? It's a natural process oh, no one to wants start a clingy that child. divorce. Yeah, you don't want one that's of. completely dependent on you, do you? Because then you think, well, what's wrong with you? Well, yeah, you want, you want them to be out there, but yeah. at the same time... You kind of don't. Well, it's that it's that be careful what you wish for thing, isn't yeah, it? It is. Where you think the end game of being a parent is that you deliver this well-rounded person who goes off and makes their own way in the world, but actually, the end game is the thing that's that punishes you, isn't it? Yeah, because absolutely. it's the thing. So you want no it. Good deed goes unpunished. No, you want it, but you dread it, and that's and you kind of think. I really want that because then if it's it's a you know I'll be proud because I'll yes. feel like I've you know I've achieved this thing of managing somehow to get them from baby when I didn't have a clue what I was doing to oh look I've got an adult I've actually got an adult who are and, going to be independent and pursuing their own career or yeah, academic or, or whatever totally want that and in the great scheme of things all those things that you plan for that's the that's the eighteen nineteen end game isn't it. So you want it and you want it, you want it, you want it. Oh, it's here. Yeah. Oh, I'm not sure I do want it. No. And it's like, well, I want it still. But then, oh, it's tinged with that. You, you know you've got to have it. It's like anything, isn't it? You know it's a process that you're going to, you've got to go through and you kind of want to go through it and you're kind of looking forward to it because it, it's exciting and you keep telling yourself and you're cheerleading yourself and you're going, it's exciting, it's exciting. It's a new phase for all of us and we're very, very excited about it, aren't we? We're excited. But part of you goes, mm, I'm kind of excited and I'm kind of, ugh. But you see, so I've done it. You're, you're yes, in the run-up twice. to it. I've done it. Now, the first time... I'm hobbling to it. I'm not really running. No, I'm kind of, I'm, no, not with those joints. No, not I'm limping <laughs> off. So, yeah, so when my son left home, it was it was a bit sad. I was a bit, you know, I was very proud of him and it was great and he was going off to study. That's marvellous. I was a bit sad, but I had... A daughter at home. Yeah, you had a spare. I did have spare. I had no spare. I had spare. no spare. So when the spare went, when when my daughter left, it was like the world had tipped on its axis. Yeah. Genuinely, genuinely. Bereft. Yeah, I like I was. the word bereft. I was, and I didn't expect it because do you know what? Like lots of women, you're busy, you've got jobs and homes and relationships and your friends. Also, you think, well, I've dealt with this once. I'm exactly. an old hand at this. Yeah, 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 and it'll be oh, fine. And everyone made a massive fuss, and I was fine. Ah, and then I really <laughs> wasn't fine. And you know what? Really, sort of took me aback. So she went. And that's fine. You know, we, we got through that. And then she came back over the summer. Yeah. And then she went again last September. Yeah. And I felt exactly the same. Oh, really? All over again in September, October. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like being on on a North Sea ferry where things are just shifting underneath oh, you. I'm not. I'm not a good traveller on on water. Vaguely sick. Feeling vaguely sick all the time. No, it was really difficult. So, and I kind of used to roll my eyes at women who said, "Oh, empty nest." I think, oh, okay, it'd be fine. Actually, for me, it wasn't fine. It's okay now. Yeah. 
but but for a period of time. You say that, but maybe in next September, maybe in September soon, it'll be all over. All over again. You'll be rolling your eyes going, you've been through this. Well, I won't though, because I'll be in it with you, won't I? Oh, Lord, it'll be a nightmare next September for both of us. (laughs) Yeah, double, double the awfulness. Oh, good grief. Yeah, is help at hand. Help is absolutely at hand. So I'd like now to bring in someone who can help us make sense of all this, uh, Dr Naomi Hodgson. She's a senior lecturer in education studies at Liverpool Hope University and argues that if there is one thing that raising children prefers us for, it's going through changes and transitions. Dr Naomi, welcome. So um, where did the term empty nest originate? And I'll have to ask, is it really a thing? It's a thing with all my mates, but is it really a thing thing? It's a thing in the sense that it's um, a term that has become part of our language over the last 20 or 30 years. Um, It's not a thing in the sense that it's not um, a medical diagnosis. It's not something that a a doctor would necessarily diagnose you as having. But it it emerged as a phenomenon around the 1980s when it was recognised that particularly women, although it's not something that um, only is experienced by women, but that at that stage of life, when you finish raising your children, they've left home to start their own lives or they've gone to university, uh, it describes that feeling of loss, of loneliness, a sadness that seems to be particular to that event in your life. Um, and so because this became a more widespread phenomenon, it attached a particular term became attached to it. And that's what we refer to as emptiness syndrome. Um, I say we as in the general public, because you, as you say, it's become something that we just kind of all know what it means. And uh, so now we know it's a thing thing. I feel a bit better knowing it's a thing thing. What are the symptoms? What would we, what would you sort of say, oh, that's your emptiness syndrome kicking off there? What? How would we recognise it? I think it comes to, as I say, a feeling of sadness, that feeling of loneliness, just feeling low as a result of not having that busyness, perhaps, that you associate with having a full household and people to take care of, even if they're not children anymore as such. I think having them living at home, still, you still have a certain level of care and responsibility oh, yes. that, you, um, <laughs> that you take on. Um, and so just not having that anymore, people sometimes um, start to ex- experience, in the worst cases, depression, anxiety um, and loneliness. Not just women, men can also experience this as well. But I think it's not just an individual problem. Sometimes it manifests in problems in your relationship. So oh, if your mum, If your mum and dad left at home and all the children have gone and all your lives have been taken up with, you know, being a taxi service, being a chef, being a housekeeper suddenly you realize you don't really have much to talk about because you haven't been sharing many there are women everywhere nodding you kind of catapulted back into this relationship situation you had maybe 25 years earlier yeah but you're you? not the same people are no. you no and you've kind of got out of the habit of being those people haven't you yeah 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 yeah, yeah a huge amount has changed and i think one of the reasons why emptiness syndrome became a thing thing about 20 or 30 years ago is because of how much our lifestyles have changed since our parents and grandparents generations where there was a kind of standard life course that you would follow and by the time your children had left home you were perhaps near retirement and retirement looked like a particular thing but now we're living so much longer there are different expectations about what you do at different points in your life and if your children leave home at around the age of when you're in your mid-40s or your early 50s 
you've potentially got another 20, 30, 40 years to go, which can seem suddenly really daunting when your whole life, your whole identity has been bound up with being a parent. And of course, all this hits in a in a in a cruel kind of way when a lot of women, I know we've talked about it affecting men, but a lot of women are perimenopausal or in menopause. Hormones are all over the shop anyway. Can I just give you an anecdote? My son was home this weekend and Tony, my husband, um, decided he was going to take his wardrobe down. He doesn't live at home anymore, Jake. Not not Tony. Tony's very much living at home. <laughs> Jake, for now. For now. Turns out it goes tonight. Keep mommy's toes, so. <laughs> But so Tony dismantled his wardrobe with Jake and took it to the tip because we're reconfiguring the room. So there's like a physical big gap in his bedroom now? Do you know what? I stood on the landing and it took me all my time. Yes, Dr. Naomi's nodding. All my time not to cry because it was a bit, it it was a little bit like he, a bit more of him had gone. Yeah. Well, it's a symbolic thing. It's only a wardrobe, but it on the other hand, wardrobe. it's not only a wardrobe. Quite a cheap wardrobe as well. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it had to go. Yeah. But I think that's a really important point, and I feel I should just say, if you say that I'm a doctor, oh, um, it kind of, no, I am, but it kind of makes people think that I could help them if they were having a heart attack, um, which I really can't. So my, my background is in uh, philosophy of education, and I think it's interesting that most of the way in which we talk about things like emptiness syndrome and some of the um, strategies or solutions, broadly speaking, come from a medical background. They come from a psychological um, set of theories and understandings of how we work. But I think it's interesting what you say there, which draws us to the fact that actually it's about much more than what's going on in our heads in terms of are we stressed, are we anxious, which are kind of psychological conditions, it's about the physical feeling as well. It's about, you know, the emotional link that you never really knew you had to that wardrobe. It's, there's a lot more <laughs> going on. I was emotionally attached to a wardrobe. <laughs> but, you, you know, there's a lot more going on. And I think how you respond to your children leaving home will have a lot to do with your own values and what you expected of that part of your life. Because I think some people approach it as a, right, job done. They've moved out now. This is my house. They've got their own house and we're going to carry on. And that's the understanding. Whereas for a lot of people, the family home is the family home. And they will always think of it as their children's home, regardless of whether their children have their own home or, you know, if they, even if they only come back for Christmas. Yeah. And so it's a very different kind of attitude to what happens when they're at that point. And I think that's going to ch- shape how you respond to emptiness syndrome and whether you even experience it at all. Julia, if I can bring you in now, you're a mum of um, two sons who are how old now? So the eldest is 24 and the youngest is 22. Was there a difference when the first one left home to when the second one left home? And actually, you know, was was did Empty Nest come and visit you in your home or, or have you been quite, um, quite cool with it? I was really, really surprised, actually. I think when, and, and you kind of know that the path that they're going to do is when they're 18, there's going to be a new chapter in their lives, whether that's university or working. And uh, they've both chosen to go to university. <clears throat> so you have a long run up to understanding that this child is no longer going to be there. And I can remember the summer before Tom left thinking... Is Tom your eldest, by Tom's the eldest, right. sorry. And um, thinking, goodness, you know, this is really going to change. This is going to be completely different. I don't know how it's going to be different, but I could... F- and I prepared myself because I am fairly sensible. I understand that, you know, I know that the best thing for your children is to to 
become independent adults. And I think as a parent, that's your duty is to create an independent adult. Um, you know, because what's the alternative? Me and the boys sat there in matching sweaters watching Coronation <laughs> Street as we get, you know. Forever. And that, <clears throat> exactly. And that's not what I wanted. And, and I knew that. But, it, it, you know, so I was kind of, well, yeah, you know, this is the right thing to do. And I've always worked when my children through, you know, you know, perhaps when they were younger, you know, very part time, but as time has gone on and I've maintained my career and changed things along the way. So I've always had a kind of part of me that's always just been me because people at work don't necessarily know my family and um, husband and things. And I was really surprised. I thought, I'm, you know, I've got, I've got this crap here. I'll be absolutely fine. And I was really surprised when I t- dropped Tom off that I actually, it was almost this physical wrench I felt really? as I walked away and I thought, oh my God, this is it. This is it. And I, I was really surprised at myself that it would be so visceral actually. Yeah. And I felt that for the whole of the journey home. Um, and even though I knew it was the right thing, I, I used to wander around thinking, you know, I used to see the gaps where he wasn't. So I think as they get a little bit older, you don't see as much of them in the same sort of way. And the boys were fairly independent. But I did kind of think, oh, you know, he would have sat here for, for tea and, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Something a bit wistful. <laughs> a bit wistfully looking at things, you know, like the wardrobe and that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> so when... Jacob, the youngest, left home. I was much more prepared. I thought, I know that this is going to happen. And it did, but to a lesser degree. And actually what I always realised by that stage was that they leave, but they come back. You know, and actually they haven't really left and that you never see them again and that you never have any communication or any contact. And you realise fairly quickly, I think, particularly at those first forays out into the real world, that they still very much need you at home. And yeah, yeah, you know, the roles change, but, you know, they definitely still need to come. So did that then make number two easier to deal with? Because you thought you'd you'd kind of gone through it once Mm -hmm. and seen, actually, it's not... It's not saying goodbye to them. It's it, they're just they're almost on like an extended holiday, aren't they? At that stage, and and yes, they'll be back in for weekends, and yes, they'll be back for hol- and the holidays when they're at uni are quite lengthy, aren't they? So they're almost ho- they're almost home more than they're away, aren't they? But at, at the point at which you say goodbye the first time, you you can't know that, can you? So you sort of you, you've got you've you've almost got the the unknown as well to deal with, and then the unknown becomes oh god, it be, you catastrophise the unknown, don't you? Yeah. You well, think, I'm surprised at myself actually because yeah, no, I I, I, would I, be, I, I don't do that, it. you know, because I don't I don't do that. No. Um. So I was hugely surprised that I was kind of literally thinking, my goodness, you know, what's going to happen now? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it didn't last. You know, I again, I can rationalise and get myself to a place where we were OK. And then as time went on, of course, I did realise it doesn't make any difference. Of course, you know, they're still, you're still their parent, but your relationship changes. Yeah. You know, you don't not become a parent because they leave home and lead their independent lives. It's just the relationship changes. And I was interested to listen to what you were saying about, you know, um, so my parents very much felt that the only true home was the ho- the family home. And actually everything that I had done um, didn't really count because actually the true home was, was home with them. And I was conscious that that made it feel that what I had achieved felt less valuable, yeah. perhaps. Um, so I was conscious to try not to do that as well. So I want to support the the boys in their own independent lives and yeah. and recognize the value and and the things that they do as well you know it's interesting because we're talking about empty nest syndrome like it's a flaw like it's a problem to be overcome but for that's not necessarily true and for a lot of women it's not necessarily true is it no and not just in the sense that some women don't suffer from any of the kind of the symptoms that we've talked about but i think 
what you were saying there, Juliet, shows that in a way, it's a process that we've been very much prepared for as parents. You feel that same wrench, not the same necessarily, but you do feel a wrench, for example, when your children start primary school or when your eldest child starts primary school. But then with the second one, it's like, all right, off you go. You know, you know so Bye. it always feels worse. Yeah. Exactly. And secondary school is the same. University is the same. So I think somehow it's just another phase of that kind of, as you say, sending them out into the world and having to kind of acknowledge the fact that you can't take full responsibility for everything that they do see, hear, experience, as we try to do when they're when they're very young. But somehow it feels different. It's perhaps we expect ourselves to be better prepared for it or it's more unexpected that we feel this when they finally left home, perhaps because it's not talked about, but perhaps because, as you mentioned, there's a whole load of other stuff going on mm-hmm. at that point in your life, mm-hmm. whether it's the menopause, whether it's the point at which you are forced to take stock, because even if your children are at school, you're still going to have to work out who's picking them up, fitting your yeah. work in, cooking them dinner, doing the after school clubs, all of those things. You're so busy. You don't necessarily get a lot of time to think. Whereas when you've got an empty house, suddenly you're stuck a lot of the time with your own thoughts potentially. And that can be quite uncomfortable if perhaps you started out your life as a parent or your married life or whatever with a kind of vague sense of what life might look like by the time you were in your late 40s or early 50s. And life doesn't quite look like that. Then that's something you, you know, are kind of forced to take stock of when the children are no longer there because you've got less of an excuse not to. Because you're not, you know, you don't have those demands as much. But motherhood is such a part of your identity, isn't it? It's such a, you know, I, I can say, well, who am I? I'm a wife. I'm I'm a journalist. I'm a friend. But at core, I'm a mother. And I think many, many women would say, you know, they have lots of other, lots of different roles, yeah. but their core is being a mum. And when that when someone's hollowed out the core and thrown it away, that's, that's yeah. very difficult. Yeah, I think a lot of that is to do with how much you feel needed as well. Mm-hmm. Because in the it, at, when they're very young, while you think, oh, I'm running around from here and I'm run ragged all over the place, mm-hmm. you are very needed by them. And then as they get into sort of middle teenage years, they become semi-detached, don't they? Yeah. And as they gain those little steps of independence, you become less physically needed because you're not needed to pick them up or to drop them off anymore because they can take themselves to places and they can get themselves home and do things a little bit more they might not always want to and, <laughs> but I think that's also a thing that you have that's difficult I imagine to come to terms with is that you're not you're not quite so tangibly needed anymore you're probably needed in the background and emotionally needed just as much as you ever were but because you're not needed to do the practical things you almost feel redundant I can I see what you're saying, Dawn. I completely agree. You know, you definitely don't have to do the physical things, and you look, actually you want to do less of the physical things. I don't want to be picking up and doing, <laughs> picking up behind them and things like that. But I think the emotional needs of those years are very, very um, demanding, yeah. and I think they're much more. I think the skills that you need to manage and steer children through that particular time are. I found in many ways actually more taxing than, you know, getting the laundry sorted and getting the nappies changed. Through and all the of that initial sort of leaving home period? No, no, I mean the, the sort of the build years. at the teenage yeah. years before they actually leave home. And, and I think that that continues. So the yeah. physical need when they go, um, you know, it's definitely gone, obviously, you know, because yeah. they're looking after themselves. But you still need to be an emotional sounding board for, for decisions that they make and you can't make decisions. And I think one of the most difficult things is you can sometimes see them heading for a storm 
and you can say, well, you know, I wouldn't be doing that if I, but you know, and I, yeah, you have to really fight hard to, yeah. to let them go make through that mistakes, and make yeah. their own mistakes and learn from those, um, you know, from the, from that journey themselves, because that's the best way I think is them experiencing it themselves yeah. to then get to a place where they are happy with their decisions and what they made. You can't tell somebody that that's right or wrong. Yeah. And even if you can anticipate it to a degree, I never would never want to turn around and say, well, I told you so, because yeah. that's terrible. I think that's very damaging in a relationship. And, you know, and I think what it stops you doing is it stops you having that open dialogue because I think your children will say, well, I'm not going to tell mum that yeah. just in case they say, well, I told you, no, yeah. I told you, no, you know, I warned you. And so I... You know, but I think I found that most challenging, actually, yeah. in lots of ways. Is to become almost a, a, an observer, but ca- yeah. because when you really want to be an intervener, don't yes. you? Because we've spent so long in Because our default position is to intervene, isn't yes. it? Yes, of course. Because you see a crisis coming and you're the one who sw- swerves to avoid Absolutely. it. And that you're, you, you know, you're kind of, because you are in control, aren't you, to a certain extent, especially when they're little. That's it. It's loss of control, isn't it? That's, I wonder if that also feeds into the whole empty nest thing, that when they're in your house, even when they're 18 and they're staying out till 3am, whatever, they still come home. But when they are living in Manchester or London or wherever, you you have completely lost control over them. Yeah. over their lives. You, you've no idea what no. they're doing, whether they're eating well or <laughs> who they're consorting with. Yeah, and I think that points to the fact that this will be different for everybody mm. because how you experience that transition, whether you experience it as empty nest syndrome or something else, will very much depend on the kind of relationship you had with your children in the first place. So if you are a parent who liked that degree of control and didn't necessarily stand back from saying, well, I wouldn't have done that if I were you, that child may be quite keen to be out of the reach of that control and doing things their own way and making those mistakes and learning the hard way. Um, so I think the specifics of each parent-child relationship is going to play a part in how this how this plays out. But it was interesting what you said about how being a parent or being a mother is so core to your identity, because I think that's true to the extent that it's you can change your job, you can change who you're married to, but whatever your relationship with your child you will You're always stuck with your kids. be a person, <laughs> be a parent, sorry. But I think the other thing that's changed over the last 20 or 30 years is how we talk about being a parent. How do you mean? It's only in that time period that the word parenting has come into popular use. And I think if I find it very hard to imagine my parents' generation or my grandparents' generation talking about their relationship with their children in the way you've just described mm-hmm. with with your sons in that now the parent-child relationship is much closer, it's much more about open dialogue and respecting the kind of the will and the agency of the child, you know, breaking down that kind of strict hierarchy between mm-hmm. parents and children. But also parents, there seems to be much more pressure on parents to get it right mm-hmm. um, and parents having much more responsibility for what happens to their, their children in the future. So it's, a, I mean, it's an industry. There's books, TV shows, web forums, apps that try to help you to do it right. Um, And I think that leads to that identity becoming much stronger to a certain extent. Not for everybody necessarily, but if you identify yourself as a particular kind of parent or you have a particular anxiety about getting it right, then that ability to perhaps relinquish some of the control over them making mistakes and perhaps not following a particularly healthy path towards a successful career becomes harder so we can't we have the term another term that's come into our language in recent decades is helicopter parenting Mm. whereby the parent 
still tries to have that care and responsibility long after the child's left home. So, um, for example, at university, we see a lot more parents coming along to open days now, helping them out with the accommodation, buying houses for them in the city. So there isn't that kind of break that there would have been perhaps in the last generation or the generation before that of leaving home being leaving home. It's true that, isn't it? Because so when I was little and when Dawn was little, possibly not when Naomi was little, but certainly when Julie was little, if you wanted to speak to your mum and dad and you were away, we went to a phone box. Yeah. You queued outside a phone box. And now I... So you probably didn't bother. Exa- well, exactly. Or if you did, you might check it eh, once a week or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now, With your 10p. Or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now my kid, my, my daughter's never off the blooming no. phone to me, you know, texting, Snapchatting me, WhatsApping me, you know. And it's interesting that, isn't it, that that, that getting parenting right, I wonder if that feeds into the whole empty nest thing as well, because they've gone now. And it's a question of, did I get it right? Did I get it right? Did I get it wrong? Whereas I think our parents, it was very unconscious parenting, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. They weren't sitting there kind of beating themselves up over whether they were doing a good, good job. I'm sure they never gave it. I honestly don't think they gave it a second thought. No, I think they assumed they were doing fine because we weren't in prison. We were, and we were alive. Not in prison and yeah. alive. And I think it just wasn't part of the conversation. No, there were There were less questions about different ways of doing it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, everyone could kind of, objectively tell what a bad parenting looked like and it was pretty extreme and it, everyone agreed but now there is literally a marketplace of options you can choose well you couldn't there was nobody other than outside of your own circle of friends you, you had nobody to compare your parenting with did you yeah. whereas now you can compare it with the whole world's parenting mm-hmm. and you're sort of tempted to google yeah. and think yeah. oh, is everyone doing it better than me yeah. and it and I think that's possibly part of the difference is that they were in blissful ignorance, weren't they? Yeah. You know, if you were doing it as well as your friends were doing it and we all went to the same school and we were all fat happy and we were all fine, well, then I've been I've done a decent job. Done. job. Yeah. job I done. do wonder whether there's some sort of successful parenting is measured by sort of exam outcomes and things like that. I think I think I see a little bit of that sometimes. It's not something I think is important, but I do think, you know, where they've got 10 A stars, therefore I must be a very yeah. successful Mum or dad, because of they might be miserable, mightn't they? Though it's totally nonsense. Yeah, they might be miserable with their ten stars, mightn't they? Ten A stars. Uh, Well, absolutely, and and that's the other thing. You know, you try to do is I don't want my my children to try and make me happy because it's not about me. But and it's you know who's going to judge whether you've got it right, and that's certainly something that we look at. We um, look at this language of parenting, and look at what difference it makes that we talk about parenting as opposed to upbringing or raising children. And a lot of the language of parenting, just as with the language of empty nest syndrome, comes from psychology. And it's about um, you having the social and emotional skills to um, raise your child to be a well-adjusted child, which is another term we take from psychology, and the extent to which you engage with them in ways that um, optimises their brain development by a particular age and therefore optimises their future possible learning outcomes because that's seen as the the proxy for what they're going to not go off the straight now. They're going to stay on their academic flight path or their route into a career um, and have the emotional skills to form secure attachments and good relationships. So there is very much a kind of learning and education aspect to the way in which we talk about good parenting. So Julia's been there and done it. You are um, four years into (laughs) Empty Nest. Have you got any top tips for Dawn? Please help. Send help. It's, do you know, and I I remember 
when my eldest left and then the first visit he came back, I thought, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. And I can remember sitting there and we all sat there rather formally thinking, yeah. you know, would you like a cup of tea? And I'm thinking, what am I doing? You know, this is just, you know, you've only gone two well, then weeks treat him ago. Like a guest. Do you almost treat him like a guest? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I thought, well, no, this is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, we all had to adjust to that, actually. And I Did just, you get the good you know, biscuits out? <clears throat> Honestly, I thought I'll get his favourite food in and oh. I'll make sure the, the beers are chilled yeah. and things like that. And it was ridiculous. And it, and it it did feel a little stiff and awkward, but it, but it took about an hour for that all yeah. to melt. And he was going, right, I'm off down the pub with my mates. Fine. Yeah. That's absolutely fine. And, and then it's been absolutely... You bolt the door. Don't leave me. <laughs> this is my time now. Yeah, yeah. 48 hours. Now, the interesting thing I have found is that when your children go away, they become the independent individuals that they are. They they do what they do and whatever that is. That's none of our business necessarily either. But when they come back, they revert to where they were beforehand. Now, what they don't always appreciate that you as a couple, because we talked a, a lot about this, your relationship is very different, actually, yeah. of course, because you have for, you know, deliberately or, you know, unconsciously, your focus has always had to be your children for a long, long, long time. Um, and then all of a sudden you're sat there and you and you have to readjust and decide, well, where what, what's our future? And that is different. And I think your children, when they come back home and revert to where they were beforehand, don't always appreciate that as parents, your relationship has also changed yeah. and the dynamics of the household have changed slightly. Yeah. So they don't always accommodate that. So what's my brace position? What would be the idea? I like to be braced. It's the, is, there an, is there an optimum brace position that I should perhaps be getting myself into now, ready for September? Gin. Okay, drinking. Yes. Okay. In moderation. Yeah, um, <laughs> all things. Um, I think it's really hard because I think as you found out, you don't know how no. you're going to react. I think you can brace yourself for the fact that there might be a reaction. Yeah. There might not be straight away. I think that's the other thing as well. You might be fine for the first couple of weeks, couple of yeah. months, and then suddenly but that's the same you'll be grief, hit by something. That's... Exactly. <laughs> and some people like an emptiness syndrome yeah. to grief when it's... You know, in a, in a, a more loss, extreme form, it? yeah, in a way. So, and I think if you look at a lot of the the advice that's out there, because this is becoming a more an area that's more recognised, and there is an abundance of sources of information and advice, podcasts even that specifically focus on this. They're very much about individual lifestyle advice, lifestyle go goals. Join a book club, go to yoga, go for a walk every day, be sociable. And those are things that are great, and obviously we should all do more of those things, but they are not going to fit with everyone's no, no. One size doesn't way fit of all, life does or, you know, sociability and all of those things. Um, so I think, it, and this is part of why emptiness, the emptiness is difficult, is because you do have to look at what matters to you and what you want to do mm. when you perhaps haven't had time to think about that for possibly 20 or 30 years. That's an opportunity though, isn't it? I know with, with people are fearful of empty nests and what have you, but actually it can be an opportunity to be, I don't know, to be a new you, to to have a new job, have a new hobby, catch up with friends, whatever. It's a, it's a reinvention, a time of newness. Um, I think some of the most basic things though, um, because it, these kind of psychological strategies for staying healthy and having good mental health are good but sometimes they seem too out of reach they're too much of a kind of lifestyle choice when actually what people find most difficult about this kind of change is the lack of routine so having some sort of routine that works for you and maintaining it I think helps you to maintain some sense of structure you might not be the most sociable person doing all these new social activities and becoming a social butterfly all of a sudden just might not work for you but having some sort of routine that does fit 
with what you like, I think, as a, at a basic level is going to... It's a good plan, actually. I think human nature loves routine. I love routine. I'm a list maker. I'm a routine person. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why lots of people struggle with retirement, isn't it? Is that because all that structure that was their working life has gone, hasn't it? And yeah. it, you, I, you know, I never thought about that. So actually, that's a good tip is yes. try and put, try and factor in something else that keeps you routinely busy mm -hmm. in the way that children used to. Ladies, that was really, really fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us, Naomi, Julia. Um, Thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank, Thank you. You can download the Menopod podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the Entail app. If you like what you've heard, please rate and review us, the Menopod, and help other listeners find us too. This is a Laudable production for the Liverpool Echo. You can find out more about Laudable and its other local podcasts by following us on social media on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, and on Instagram by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts. See you next time.